Before we get into our sermon uh, today, we're going to pray as we always do uh, before the sermon, but I just think it's important that we pray in a unique way this morning. Here it is, another Sunday following another week of terror, and uh, our prayer is not just that that God would uh, end ISIS or end religious extremism, um, because after that it will just be another group. It's just going to keep coming until Jesus restores this broken world. And so that's, that's not really our prayer. I mean, we can pray that, but it's certainly not our ultimate prayer. Our, our ultimate prayer is, come Lord Jesus. Right? Let that be the prayer of your tongue. And as a, I remember as I was younger, I wasn't real excited about the coming of the Lord Jesus, even though I was a Christian. I just didn't get me excited, but it seems like the older I get and the more broken the world seems to appear. I don't know if it's getting more broken or if my eyes are just being opened more. The prayer just is more frequently my tongue, come Lord Jesus, please come Lord Jesus. And uh, here we are celebrating Advent, which represents the coming of Jesus at Christmas, but then also anticipating his second coming again at some undisclosed future date. And so we're in this Advent teaching series that we're calling Coming King, focusing on our King who has come and is coming uh, again. And so I thought maybe we could do something a little bit different today, and that is, uh, let's pray together if we can. And so, if you guys would, would you just stand up with me? And uh, maybe, this might be a little uncomfortable, but we're we're family here, looking around the room. Uh, Would you just maybe connect with one, two, three other people, and just put your arm around them, and would you guys just together, um, would you together just pray uh, for God to bring about peace? Pray for God to come. Pray for restoration that comes only in Jesus. But you just take a couple minutes to do that. If you're not comfortable praying, you don't need to, you don't have to pray. But in the group, just at least one or two of you, take a moment to pray together. And so just pray out loud, pray together, and then I'll close this up when it seems like we're finishing. Let's just pray, come Lord Jesus, healing, restoration, the hope that comes in you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we pray, come, Jesus, come. Come in our hearts at Christmas. May we be your ambassadors in this broken world. May we be the peacemakers who you say are blessed. God, do your work in this broken world. Thank you that we know that you're coming again. Thank you that we know, according to your scripture, that you will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. And we long for that day. God, help us to long for it more and more and more. Help it not to be some ethereal, otherly thing that we can't even taste. But may we just taste it as we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just in local expressions of the church family. God, we need you. We need you. God, we pray for those who are hurting. There's lots of hurt. Paris and California and so many in Colorado and Charleston, Ferguson. There's people hurting right here in this room. Abuse, violence, verbal abuse, broken hearts. God, please help us.
May it never be said that you would come in here and turn over tables because you said your house should be a house of prayer. So help us to pray more, to pray boldly. The expectation that when we pray, you hear and you love to answer the prayers that in accordance with your will, we know that it is your will for peace. So bring it through us until the day that your kingdom comes in fullness. God, as we open your word, may we be ready. May we be receptive to hear what you have for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, so how do I lighten the mood? (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Feliz Navidad. Can I say that? Feels good to say that. That was my first time saying it this season. Is it too early? Can it be too early? You can say it this early, right? All right. I love, I love saying Merry Christmas. I love this season. It's amazing. And uh, I just can't have enough of Merry Christmas. I'm psyched, psyched about this season. And uh, we decorated our house. Started last week. Thought we would finish last night. But the Christmas decorations turned into a big wrestling match. And so we said we'll finish it today, this afternoon. But we got a tree with nothing on it. It's a great season, great season. Uh, We're in this teaching series that we're calling Coming King. And so we're going to put a pause on the book of Luke until next year or three weeks, four weeks. And uh, then we'll get back into it uh, in 2016. Is that okay? I mean, at this point, nobody cares, right? I mean, it's Christmas. Do whatever you want, right? Let's just, we love it. And so nobody's saying, stay on task, Josh. Just Let's talk about Christmas. Let's talk about Jesus. So I'm, I'm calling this sermon the original Christmas tree. So if you're a note taker, you can put that right up top. The original Christmas tree. Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17 is where we are. So if you have a Bible, get on over there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a big one right behind me here. It's the world's largest Bible. It'll be up there for you. And then we also have Bibles around the room, and you can uh, bring that home. If you don't have one at home, I really mean this. Uh, bring that home. Or if you have somebody that you know needs a Bible, bring that home to them. Merry Christmas. Don't say I didn't get you anything. All right? Matthew 1, 1 through 17. For many of us, Christmas will mean family or extra time with family. I remember one particular Christmas family party that we had. Uh, We all went over to my uh, very wealthy aunt and uncle's house, and we would do that every year together at this big, massive home and a a gated entrance and a long driveway until you get to their house and every year you get in their house and in their great room they'd have this 20 something foot tall Christmas tree that was real and every year they get it from a different place and we come in and they tell us a story about where they went as a family to chop down uh, the tree and put in the great room and and all the adults would be you know schmoozing and wearing their their ugly Christmas sweaters before we realized that they were ugly and started making fun of them with parties and they, they were actually like we love these sweaters sweaters and so um, they'd be doing that and doing their thing and the kids would be up in the game room which overlooked the great room on the second floor in this open banister and we'd always be up there playing while the adults would do their thing and uh, they had this big beautiful pool table there at my aunt and uncle's house and we'd be playing pool and you know we don't know what we're doing and so uh, we still don't know who the culprit was but this one particular Christmas as we're playing pool with our hands no sticks one of the balls falls off the table rolls across the room and plummets to the first floor the great room 
and knocks out my cousin Debbie uh, just cold on the floor as this pool ball fell. And uh, she went to the hospital, and it was a Christmas to remember. She's okay, and we're still friends. Uh, we still don't know who it was. Um, nobody will fess up to it. I don't even know if the person who does know they did it. Maybe just kind of block that bad Christmas memory out of their, their, uh, their mind. I don't know. But that was, uh, that was definitely a, a Christmas to uh, remember. It seems like every year there, there's something, you know. Maybe for you, it seems like every Christmas there's some kind of highlight. I'll never forget the Christmas where my sister uh, almost died and, and was in the hospital over Christmas, and it was really, really terrible. And uh, it's, every, it's something every, every Christmas. You know, uncle shows up with a new wife every Christmas, or grandma has a little too much wine and things get really weird uh, fast, or when we had to change venues on that Christmas party I was telling you about, because we found out, the police found out that that big mansion was bought with embezzled money, and so just every year, just, it's interesting, very interesting, and so maybe for you, I don't know, it's a crazy, twisted sister, or maybe it's your your um, outrageous uncle, or your politically charged cousin, we all have one of those, right? That's what they want to talk about at Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, or your overbearing brother-in-law, or your, your in-laws, whatever it may be. Everyone has those family members, and if you don't, I hate to break it to you, it's probably because you're it. <laughs> that's you, and that's why we don't have one. That's you. We're having fun, but in, in seriousness, time with family around the holidays, for some of us is great, but I'd imagine that for, for many of us, it's not so great. For many of us, we come from broken families and maybe we have a lot of conflict when we get together. There's some pain or there's some past abuse issues or there's, there's sickness or there's, there, there's heartache. And the, the truth is that for, for some of us, Christmas can kind of be like this big magnifying glass on your pain. As you look around and everybody else seems to be happy, your pain just gets magnified. Maybe this Christmas mom and dad aren't together or this is the Christmas that... You have to figure out how to do a holiday with a parent having a new spouse. Or, or maybe it's, oh, it's another Christmas where I'm alone and you don't have someone to celebrate with. Or maybe it's your first Christmas with an empty chair around the table because you lost a loved one or because you're estranged from a loved one. Or maybe it's another Christmas where you still don't have that child that you want so bad to shower with presents, but you just can't seem to be pregnant. Now, for many around this time of year, we'll pick up right at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you look at the heading there, it says the birth of Christ. That's where, where we would probably usually pick up. And I hope you read that. I hope you read the, the birth of Christ and the Christmas story there and in the first few chapters of the book of Luke. Maybe do it by yourself several times. Maybe do this with uh, a spouse or a loved one or some friends or a dorm mate or your, your ministry crew or, or your connection group or your discipleship. Definitely do that. But let's not miss what happens before that in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, the, the preceding stuff prior to the, the story. He gives us the original Christmas tree. He gives us Jesus' family tree. Now, if you thought your family was dysfunctional, you've got to get a load of this. Let's just read straight through it together if we can. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read all 17 verses. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezra the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Isaiah, and Isaiah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abia, and Abia the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zedek, and Zedek the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And then verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. The Christmas story. Now it kind of feels like I just read the phone book. Right? But don't zone out. There are some things in here that we really need to see. Back in verse 1, if you look there, notice it reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And David is known as the great king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel up until Jesus. And, And we call the throne the throne of David, right? The throne of David. And Matthew is showing us that Jesus is of noble or royal descent. Now, Ryan and I had this moment in the office this week because I'm not really good at spelling. And I was like, Ryan, how do you spell descent? And I told him, he says, no, that's decent. I was like, okay, we could just call this sermon an indecent descent. (laughs) But decent, right? Descent. And so he's a descendant of the royal throne of David because in Isaiah chapter 9, a very familiar uh, prophecy about Jesus. Here's what it reads in verses 6 and 7. Very, very familiar to many of us for Christmas. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. Familiar? It goes on. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we see that Jesus is this final, eternal king over Israel, over God's people. And, and Matthew chapter 1 is his royal lineage. We have here, as I read, 47 names in all. 
If you notice, maybe some of the, the names are familiar to some of you who grew up in and around the church. There were uh, names that, that maybe you knew a little bit. There were men and women. There were rich. There were poor. There were kings. There were peasants. There were those who were very faithful. There were those who were very faithless. There were successes, and there were some major failures in there, and they're all written down forever in the scriptures, in the word of God that endures forever. And every single name that is in there is for a reason. Every single one of them. That's why I like to read the phone books sometimes when we get there in the life of our church. And in this day, if you were a Jewish person, your lineage was tremendously important to you. Today, many of us probably don't know the names of our great-grandparents, and if you do, maybe just one or two of them, but probably not all of them. But for them, they, they were familiar with their, their lineage. It, it validated you spiritually. It validated you socially. And for Matthew, he's writing his account of the life and the message and the ministry of Jesus for a very Jewish audience. And so it was tremendously important that he included in there Jesus' lineage, Proving that he is, in fact, the Messiah. Showing first that he's a son of Abraham, of the Jewish race. And also showing that he's a son of David in line for the throne. The scriptures will say that there would be one greater than David. There would be a, a son of David. And Matthew is saying the evidence points to Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. And then you throw in all the miracles that he did. It's, it's Jesus. My grandmother was really into Ancestry.com or Ancestor.com. I forget what it's called. For, for a while and gave me the password and said, you should explore around. Anybody done that? Some of you guys, pretty, it's pretty cool actually. And uh, you and my grandma should hang out, right? <laughs> she found some stuff that was pretty cool and, and I was proud of and I like to tell people I'm connected to English royalty. But, but have you ever gone in and maybe heard, heard from your family some connections to some people that maybe you're just, it's not something I would brag about when, when you find out. Maybe there's something in your family line that's a little bit disturbing, maybe murder or some kind of dark stain like a connection to, to slave traders or, or slave owners, something that you, you wouldn't brag about, you wouldn't talk about it at the office Christmas party, right? Guess what we found out? We're connected to slave owners. That would be terrible. Who would do that? It's interesting here that Jesus doesn't have a very clean background, yet Matthew's willing to say, let's record this. God the Holy Spirit through Matthew is saying, we need to get this in there. In fact, as you read it, there are just some major, major failures, major embarrassments, major stains in the the lineage of Jesus. And in those days, for kings and for military leaders, they would hire historians to record their history and to talk about their epic battles and to trace their, their genealogy. Now, if you were a historian, however, if you did uncover some dirty secrets, some dark stains, if working for a king or a political leader... In order to keep your job and to keep your head, you probably just admit that kind of stuff. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to skip over it. And in essence, kind of rewriting history by just omission in order to paint the king or the leader that you're working for in a good light. You just kind of keep quiet on something. But the Bible keeps it all there. It's one of the things I love about the entire Bible. As, as you read through it, I say, wow, if I was making this up, I would not include that. I would not let my, my key disciples, the apostles, these key leaders be such boneheads, right? 
You are making it up. That's, that's what I call circumstantial evidence. It doesn't kind of seal the deal once and for all. Christianity is true, but it's circumstantial evidence. It helps you say, okay, well, that's, that, that's got to mean something. Why would they, they put all this in there? If it were some conspiracy, they probably wouldn't include this stuff because the people of Israel were not wanting this stuff. We're not looking for this stuff and maybe worked against Jesus in, in a sense. You wouldn't paint your biblical heroes in a bad light. You'd leave out the dirt bags, right? But it's, it's all in there. In the Bible, God is just keeping it real. Just keeping it real. Not even in the genealogy of this most royal king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. There's no editing history. There's no glossing over. It's just brutally, brutally honest. Verses 1 and 2. It's clear what Matthew is up to when he includes Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And David and Solomon. He's displaying that Jesus is of the Messianic line. But for the Jewish people, it would have been surprising. It would have been very shocking and scandalous and head-turning that he would include some of these others. Let's look at some of these others that, that he includes in, in this list here. It's interesting that there are five women who are mentioned. Because for the Hebrews, you wouldn't include women in your family legacies when you're recording and, and tracing back you just you just wouldn't do that but they do it ladies it was wrong i don't think it's a good thing that we did it that way but that's just, that's just how it was back then yet for jesus who would set in motion the, the the value of women and how we should treasure women a lot of people say oh the bible is oppressive to women i say oh no it's very countercultural in its day it sets that in motion for jesus who values women even in his lineage there are women included but then of the women who are included there's a lot of scandal we've got two prostitutes we've got one outsider we've got one adulterer and then you've got mary the mother of jesus verse three gives us our first woman her name is tamar tamar is not a person you hear much about Uh, jacob you know jacob right Jacob, famous character in, in the Bible. His son Judah had three sons. Their names were Ur and Onan and Shelah. And Ur married Tamar, but then Ur died. And so the way it worked back then is if you were the next brother closest to, to Ken, you would marry your brother's widow and you would take care of her. And so Onan was in line after Ur to take care of Tamar. So Tamar is taken care of now, but guess what? Onan dies. And so after Onan dies, Shelah is, is too young to marry Tamar. So Judah says, okay, Tamar, this is her father-in-law. He says, okay, Tamar, here's what we're going to do. You're just going to hang out with us as a family. You're going to wait until Shelah comes of age, and then you can marry. Well, when he comes of age, Judah doesn't fill his promise. And so what Tamar does, this is kind of scandalous, Tamar dresses like a prostitute, which she wasn't. It wasn't her job, but she dresses like one. She hides her face. She goes, hangs out in front of the city, and she tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her. And he sleeps with her, and while she's with him, she gets his ring, she gets a cord, she gets his staff as kind of payment, as kind of exchange, and she is then pregnant with twins his twins and so in order to secure that she will not be cast out once people start to see that she's got 
a baby bump and, and she's pregnant because they would have done that. They would have cast her out for being immoral, getting pregnant as an unmarried widow. When it came time for them to start the punishment of her, she pulls out the ring that she got and the cord and the staff and she blackmailed her father-in-law. That's Tamar right there in the, the lineage of Jesus. Both Judah and Tamar in the lineage of Jesus. Scandalous stuff. Why is that? Why does Matthew include them when pointing ultimately to the coming of the Messiah? Look now into the verse 5. It includes another woman, Rahab. She's a little more widely known. I could say something about Rahab and you would know. Rahab the prostitute, right? That's, that's what Rahab's known for. She, she was a hooker, right? She's an outsider who helps Jewish spies who come into Jericho, uh, kind of doing this reconnaissance mission in preparation for the big battle of Jericho where they march around, you know the story. And, and, and she comes in and because of her faith, she protects God's people and she covers up the spies when they're about to get busted. And because of her faith, she's included in Hebrews chapter 11, which we call the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith is this great example this former prostitute. And she's included in the lineage of Jesus despite her scandalous background. And she's brought into the family of God because of what she did. They come and rescue her before they attack the city. You also notice in verse 5, there's another lady. Her name is Ruth. She's also a non-Jew. She's actually a Moabite. The Moabites were despised by the Jews because their, their nation was born out of an incestuous relationship. And yet Ruth is also brought into the family of God. Some of you maybe know Ruth's story a little bit. If you want to learn more about it, go on our podcast. And way, way, way at the very beginning of the, the start of the church, we went through the book of Ruth. It was just an amazing time together. But she's brought into the family of God despite her shame of being a Moabite. Do you start to see the common theme there? People being brought into the family of God despite their shame, despite their their lineage. She's a Moabite. She's a widow. She's a peasant. She meets this very wealthy man named Boaz out in the fields of Bethlehem. The same fields where the angels would be singing the, the coming of the Messiah to the shepherds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to that is this young lady named Ruth and this beautiful romance of redemption that the Bible talks about between her and Boaz. And he redeems her out of her troubled past and she's brought in. This prophetic glimpse that Jesus would do something amazing for us, redeem us starting in Bethlehem as well. And so Tamar and Rahab and Ruth in verse 6 mentions Another woman, doesn't it? If you look at verse 6, it doesn't give us her name. It just says, ironically, interestingly, that it includes this in there. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Makes a point to mention Uriah. Just an unnecessary detail that, that, that Matthew puts in there. Who was Uriah? Who was Uriah's wife? Uriah is just another ordinary soldier off at battle during the reign of of King David. While he's off fighting the king's battle, the king is back in the the, the capital city doing his thing and he looks out the window and he sees Uriah who's out fighting. He sees Uriah's wife 
bathing on the rooftop and the king can't control himself and enters in the king's dark stain. He hooks up with Uriah's wife. I don't even know that she was compliant necessarily. He was the king, could do whatever he wants and she becomes pregnant. And so David, in order to cover up his, his dark sin, his, his stain, because all these Bible characters have stains, in order to cover his up, he first decides to bring Uriah home from battle. Assuming that when Uriah comes home from battle, he's going to go see his wife, if you know what I mean, and spend some time with her and later think that the baby was his own. And Uriah says, no, 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 I'm not going to, no. He sleeps at the, the, the doorstep of the palace, doesn't go home to be with his wife because he's a noble man. He says, how can I enjoy being with my wife and all of my brothers are out there fighting? How could, how could I No. So David says, oh, well, that plan's messed up. What am I going to do now? David says, come on, hang out with me. And throws a party. Gets Uriah drunk. Thinking, all right, now he's going to loosen up. Now he'll go spend some time with his wife. Still says no. So the third, option C, thing that he does, is all right, go back to war. He calls up his commander. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to transfer Uriah to the front lines where he's sure to be killed, and he is killed. So essentially, David murders Uriah. This noble king, David, this man after God's own heart. And what is this woman's name? Bathsheba. Very well-known woman, infamous as a mistress. And together they have Solomon, heir to the throne of David. Just scandal after scandal after scandal in the lineage of Jesus. And these ladies are great-grandmothers to Jesus Christ. And so it's surprising that women are included. It's also surprising that women of scandal are included. And why would Matthew do this? I mean, Matthew, aren't you trying to prove that he is the holy Messiah? You're trying to prove the Messiahship of Jesus, right? You're trying to validate his kingship of the kingdom to Jewish people who are very holiness-centered, who are very patriarchal and just looking, give me the men. And yet he includes women and sin and disgrace. And then you read through and many of the men are even worse. David, of course, we've already spoke about him. His sin, Bathsheba's son, Solomon, just countless mistresses. And I don't use that word countless lightly. Like they really couldn't count the number of women that he had. We could just go on and on and on. Down the list. Disgrace after disgrace after disgrace. Why? To magnify Jesus' grace. His grace. His grace. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. And we've been given Jesus what we don't Deserve. Think with me about that passage we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 9, prophesying the coming king. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He's the gift. Jesus is the gift. And he's not the reward, he's the gift. The reward is when you did something really special and you get something for it. When you earned it but Jesus is a gift the wages of sin is death but the free what gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. It doesn't matter how bad my kids are each year. I don't pull the Santa Claus, checking the list, checking it twice, going to find out they're naughty or nice. I'm giving my kids a gift every Christmas because they're my kids and I love them. My gifts to my children are based on my love for them, not based on their behavior. If it was based on their behavior, Santa Claus is coming to town and he's bringing rewards, not gifts. You see the difference? So when it comes to even this this holiday season, we're giving cookies to our neighbors, my family. And so we're going to be giving cookies to all of our neighbors. And we have a few that are kind of nasty at times. And we're giving them to all of them under the example of Jesus. We want to show the love of Jesus, which is a grace love. It's a love that's not based on deservedness. It's a love that's based on who he is. And that is God is love. And this genealogy expresses that. It points us to that. That God is a gracious, loving God. This coming king. We want to focus on the cute story. and We'll we'll get there. We're going through the, the first couple of chapters of Matthew in this series. But before that. It says, even before that, all of this is to show you that you're sinful and that you mess up and that you fail. And I still love you. And I'm still coming on a mission. I'm coming to earth to to save you. 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 As Kevin mentioned, before the foundations of the world, I had you in my mind. I was thinking about you. Knowing that you're going to fail. Knowing that you're going to mess up. Knowing where you're at right now, some of you. Feeling like a complete and total total hypocrite. People say the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. It is. For people who need the grace of Jesus. And he loves to give it to us. So as I round third base, here's what God's calling us to this Christmas. We look at this text, I believe God is calling us to be grace receivers, first of all, and then grace givers. Grace receivers and then grace givers. Listen to me, when it comes to being a grace giver, there is no other season like this season. There is something incredibly special about this season beyond what it means with regards to the receptivity of people this time of year. We have an opportunity, church family, to express the grace and the message of Jesus like no other time of year. My wife and I have been talking. We've already seen just countless opportunities, I mean, lots of opportunities and, and occasions already. We're just at the beginning of the season where people, they just want to talk about Jesus. They're open to it. It's a great time of year for you to extend the gracious gift of Jesus to people. I'm praying that your hearts are stirred, that we would be about that. We said that our our annual prayer focus this year is that everyone would reach one. Can you imagine? If everyone in our church family reached just one, how incredible would that be? And I want you to, this season, especially be thinking about your one, about what it looks like to reach out to your one, to love your one, to, to talk about Jesus to your one. And here's one thing that we're going to do. On Sunday, December 20th, we're going to have a ton of poinsettias back in the back there. Beautiful red Christmas flowers. And you can have one that you can then go 
and give to someone, but you can't have it unless you commit to giving it away to your one. And so December 20th, we're going to have that. You give that poinsettia away to your one. Just as a, maybe for some of you, a first step of contact of really saying, hey, I love you, I care about you, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. You're going to have poinsettias. Maybe for you, this season, being a grace giver means that this Christmas, you need to give someone grace. Maybe you need to give someone something that they don't deserve. Maybe for you, that means you need to reconnect with and forgive a loved one or a friend. Or you're bitter against and you, you're not letting them off the hook even though Jesus let you off the hook for all your sins over and over again. They've done it one too many times. Jesus says, come on. Maybe that's what it looks like this season for you to reconnect. It's a great time of year to do that, to forgive someone. Maybe you being a grace giver this season looks like you entering into some situations that you wouldn't normally put yourself in under the example of Jesus who's in glory and decides to come down into humanity, into a very uncomfortable position. He steps off of his throne and he comes and is born in a barn. He's nailed to a cross in this humiliating, naked moment on the cross before people who are mocking him and spitting at him and treating him like a criminal. I think we can go into some uncomfortable situations as well. And so maybe for you that means talking to that neighbor, giving that poinsettia to somebody, inviting somebody to church in the season that they're probably most receptive to coming to church. He declared, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I came. That was my mission. Maybe you need to do that too. You need to do that too. You need to be reaching out to your neighbor, inviting people to church, hosting a Christmas party, and inviting people that you wouldn't normally be hanging out with. Like Jesus and Matthew when they said, Jesus, you must be a drunk and glutton because he was hanging out with people that they wouldn't expect a rabbi or certainly not God to be hanging out with. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. I'm praying that the Spirit of God inside of us would be stirring us up and and bringing things to our minds that we might creatively go out and seek to reach our one or our neighbors. Maybe it's a football game. You can invite them over and have some conversation in between commercials that's meaningful or during halftime that's meaningful. There are countless ways in this really strategic season that God has given us to be a grace giver. One more that I want to highlight is every year as a church, we give you an opportunity to give. We call it our annual Christmas offering, and it goes towards three things this year. First of all, it's going to go towards a benevolence fund that we have as a church where we meet needs of people in our community who are struggling in various capacities, financial needs, sometimes um, housing needs or, or buying groceries. We do that throughout the course of the year and it comes out of our annual Christmas offering. We do it for people around the community as well. The second thing it's going to go to is towards uh, international missions and we love and, and uh, try to really aggressively give money away that comes in and we're going to do that through this uh, Christmas offering. And then the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to scholarship a bunch of teenagers to go to camp uh, in New Hampshire. 
And uh, you should see what God's doing with Teen Connect, our teen ministry that was rebirthed recently. It's just incredible what God's doing. And we've got upwards of 20 teenagers coming and hearing about Jesus every week. And got some loving uh, volunteers on the team who are serving them and connecting with them. And we want to send them off to camp where they're going to kind of get this packed-in weekend that's just really thick and focused on Jesus. And you'll be able to scholarship them by participating in the annual Christmas offering. And so what's, what it's going to look like is next week inside of your river guides and the week after we're going to have uh, envelopes for you. And they're going to say Christmas offering on them. We'd ask you to hold on to that, pray about that throughout the course of the week. And you'll have all the way up until the 27th, but preferably on the 20th is going to be the day that we're going to go big and we're going to give big to Jesus and to his mission. Let this be above and beyond what you normally give. We're going above and beyond and giving big this Christmas. I'll say this. We like to give a lot of gifts. My kids, every year, it seems like they, they, they're tracking somehow, but they, they always ask, why do we get gifts? And then we say, oh yeah, well, you're right. We shouldn't give you gifts, right? My son said it the other day. He's like, the, the wise men brought Jesus gifts. Why do we get gifts? I said, that's a good point. We're not going to get you anything. No, 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 no. <laughs> but what if, what if our most extravagant gift was to Jesus? This season. Shouldn't our most extravagant gift be to Jesus and his mission this season? It just makes sense. What would Jesus have to do with gold and frankincense and myrrh? I mean, he's just a humble guy. But their most extravagant gift was given to Jesus. Let's be grace givers this year. But I'll say this as well. Before we can be real grace givers, we've also got to be grace receivers. And some of you, you're hearing the lineage of Jesus. And I'm praying that you're connecting, you're relating, and that's okay. That you're saying, wow, it was messed up. But you're able to see that, you know what? It's a picture for you that, that Jesus is not afraid of your mess. That Jesus gives grace in the midst of your failure in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your repeat offenses, that he loves to give you grace. It's the undeserved favor of God. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm calling you to receive the grace of Jesus, to call upon him and say, yes, it's a gift that you need to open to receive. You can be saved from the eternal damnation because of your sin. We call that hell. And you can be saved to eternal life with Jesus and saved to this mission that he, he puts us on and receive the grace of Jesus. Because his name was on this unrighteous list of names. Your name can be on the righteous list of names. That is the Lamb's book of life. His name is written in this book so that your name can be written in this book for all eternity. This book that, that the scriptures will tell us when you give your life to Jesus, your name is written in this book. These are the people that are God's people. These are the people that spend all eternity with him. Let this list in Jesus' name in the midst of this unrighteous list by your way into the list of those people who will be with him forever and ever and ever. But you have to receive the gift, not the reward. You have to receive the gift. You have to say, yes, I receive it, Jesus. I, I take your grace. I turn from my sin and I turn and I trust in you. And that's what I'm calling you to. 
this morning. To receive grace, and then as those who have received grace, to give grace. Would you guys close your eyes? We just like to do this every week. We like to respond to God's word. It's an incredibly important thing that we do. It's to respond to the scriptures. And I would ask you today, have you received the grace of God? Well, Josh, I I grew up Christian, right? Nobody grows up Christian. Maybe you grew up going to church, but you don't grow up Christian. You can't carpool to heaven with mom or dad or family. There's a day when you receive the gift that's been given to you. There's a day that you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. There's a day that you place faith in Jesus. There's a day that you pass from death to life. There's a day that your heart goes from being a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. There's a day that your citizenship moves from the the citizenship of the kingdom of this world to a citizenship of the kingdom of God. And I'm asking you if that day has happened already. And if not, God is inviting you. He's, He's got you here. He's knocking on your heart and saying, receive the gift. Receive the gift. So I'd invite you right now, if that's you, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Say, Jesus, I recognize my sin. I really do. My brokenness. I'm not unlike the people on that list. But Jesus, I recognize that you entered into the mess. Lived a perfect life undeserving of death, but you died for me as my substitution, taking my death payment for me. So that if I trust in you and turn to you, though I die, yet I will live. God, I pray that you be working in the hearts of my friends in this room, that in the best way they know how, in their own words, they would just call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. They would receive the gift. And if that's you, I'd encourage you afterwards to let us know. Maybe just check it on your connection card. I'd like to trust in and follow Jesus. Or maybe tell us that, you know what, I'd like to talk with somebody about this. I'd like to talk with a pastor and learn more about this. Or come see us afterwards. But don't let another holiday season with all this focus on Jesus go by where you don't actually yourself give your life to Jesus. Today's your day. And for those of you in this room, you'd say, I'm a Christian. I've received the grace of Jesus. I know it. Are you a grace giver? Are you really giving out this precious gift that's been given to you? And the beauty of it is just multiplies. It doesn't run out. It doesn't run out. It's like the loaves and the fishes in the basket. You just keep giving and it just keeps coming. You can just keep giving the grace of Jesus. I'm telling you, when you die, you're not going to wish you spent more time at work. When you die, you're not going to wish that you spent more time having fun. You're going to start thinking about every single person that you could have, should have told about Jesus. That's why we're here. That's our mission. Let's be on the mission of Jesus. 
every single week through this Christmas season, it's going to be like this. We're going to be calling people to Jesus. Maybe you know somebody that you need to bring here so they can hear this message again and again and again. Jesus, 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 always, only Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. And we can think back to our lives. I think back to my life and just disgrace, 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 disgrace. And yet, grace, 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 grace from Jesus. Thank you. We receive it. We celebrate it this season. Be honored in how we respond to your word, whether it's giving our lives to you, whether it's giving out the grace that's been given to us, to other people, or even just right now, just singing and giving. Be honored, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.